What's up, Brainiacs? Well, it's a brand new year and a brand new season of Blabber Brain Show. Now, this isn't 2020, right? That year sucked. Just throw it away. This is 2021, and this year can be whatever you want it to be. And what we want it to be is a great season of Blabber Brain Show. And to back that up, we're bringing you our very special guest, legendary bass player Rudy Sarzo. Now, I wish I could say that it doesn't get any better than that, but we're just getting started, people. This is season two. Let's do this. And welcome to season two of Blabberbrain Show. Man, we made it to season two. I, I, and there's other, uh, you know, pod, podcasts are out there. They just roll from, you know, episode this to episode that. And, you know, this could easily be episode nine. But I like breaking it up in seasons. It makes it sound like you've accomplished something, you know. So, anyways, this is Blabberbrain Show season two. I am Michael Cadry. And my buddy over there in the signature hat and glasses is the big M. What is up? Not much, not much. So we're in the season two. So right. let me ask you a question, just right off the top of my head, now that you brought that up. Yeah. Now, how many episodes can we re- do we have to have recorded and out there before we could go into syndication? They could do the repeats on all the networks. Well, as uh, as few of uh, shows that we've been doing, the way we're going at it, probably about 32, maybe 31 okay. if we uh, we squeeze in a few extra episodes. But you know, hey, we got in, uh, the, the last episode was, of course, our best of show. Uh, can't really count that, but uh, including that, we had eight episodes in our first uh, season. But we told everybody from the get-go, we're, we're not really on a, a steady schedule, although we probably should. I would like to get on a steady schedule with doing this, a little bit more steadier than we've been doing it, because it's just as we have time or as we're thinking about it or whatever. But um, our goals for this year are to pick up some sponsors, which I am actually uh, talking to a few right now. Um, this, what the sponsorship does for any of those of you out there who are looking to help uh, sponsor our show is it'll help. Uh, it's not just going to go in our pocket. That's Believe me, there's not enough money to make that worthwhile. It'll help to go uh, boost the show. Uh, it costs money to, to do those boosts on Facebook. We want to try to get more a better presence on YouTube. Uh, we just got on rumble so blabber brains are now on rumble or uh, i don't know what the hell rumble now. is but i'm all rumble's the alternative to youtube it's uh just it's uh for those people that are sick of uh google and youtube and and uh, they're you know overreaching ways uh there's rumble which is an alternative so we're we are now going to be on rumble um uh but still facebook is, is our biggest uh, audience so the money helps to boost these it's also you know we have to pay money on uh, for our audio shows to get it on the SoundCloud and Spotify. That actually costs money. Eventually, I would like to get the show, too, on the, the Apple uh, podcast as well to reach a wider audience. We're trying to reach more people. And the best way to do that is uh, with funding. We are not uh, individually um, uh, wealthy. Uh, we're rich at heart, rich in spirit, and we've got enough money to take care of ourselves and our family. So, but uh, as far as uh, pouring, you know, lots of money into the show, um, hopefully it'll come with, with uh, sponsors and, and uh, the bigger audiences that we get along the way. So we, we do have a brand new year and boy, we've been through a lot already this year. It's, you know, it's hard to believe it's only February. There's just so much that has already whizzed right by, um, you know, the Super Bowl, um, you know, your, your buddy, uh, uh, Tom Brady still, uh, you know, trying to hold on to the goat uh moniker that he's he's gained but um although i will 
contest the MVP award. I really think it should have gone to Gronk. Um, and since we watched the Super Bowl together, I don't know that you have too much of a uh, complaint with my my beef there. But um, No, I, I don't, but I understand why it's Tom Brady too because I don't think without him that team wouldn't have gone and won the Super Bowl. He kind of reminds me, I mean, look, he played a lot better than, say, Peyton Manning did in down the stretch when they won the Super when they won the Super Bowl in Denver with him, but he was a great game manager, and he and was in that, that leadership. The leadership is what it's all about. But it's it's not the MVP of the league; it's the MVP of the Super Bowl, and it's the, based on the performance of the Super Bowl. And based on that, I don't know that um, that he performed at that MVP level that he has before. I think that the guy that, that made the best plays and, and made the biggest plays in the game was Gronk with those two touchdowns and, and uh, several other big game uh, catches that he had. I mean, any Terry Bradshaw will be the first to tell you that, look, any, any gunslinger can throw the ball down there. It's up to the great wide receivers to be able to catch the ball and make the plays. And that's what he said with uh, Stallworth and Swan used to make him look good all the time. But, um, I don't know. It, it's uh, I guess it's a preference thing. I understand why they gave it to Brady, but I'm looking at the performance. I'm not just looking at some honorary thing like, oh, I've won seven Super Bowls or, oh, I'm Tom Brady or, oh, whatever. I had a great year. I'm looking at it for the performance of the game. And quite frankly, Gronk should have got it. But, you know, that's, yeah, that's a up tough for debate. one. I mean, it, even with the defense or I mean, the defense is, was incredible. I kind of figured that was going to that there was a good chance that was going to happen when they made when they made Rodgers look like a chump when they were <laughs> playing Green Bay in a championship game. It just said but there was just a good play overall. It wasn't like somebody had, you know, one player had, you know, four sacks at crucial times or anything like that. It was just a well they just played it they just played a much better game. Yeah, and, I mean, like so I said, they couldn't it, do anything. Look, there's, there's, you can debate who the MVP was, but I don't think there's any debating now that uh, Tampa Bay is your new city of champions. You know, they, 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 they the Rays got into the play, uh, into the World Series. They didn't win. Uh, however, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Stanley Cup champions, and now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers world champs uh, with the NFL. So congratulations to my home away from home, Tampa, for uh, uh, getting the new title of City of Champions. So here's to you. Cheers. And I'll you know, be down there uh, in April to visit you and, and celebrate with you. So um, one of the other things that's uh, kind of been on my mind is um, this thing that's been very prominent in the news as of re recently, and it's just getting worse and worse every year, is this cancel culture thing. Please don't cancel Blabber Brain Show. <laughs> as offensive as maybe sometimes we could be, we try not to be, but you know, you're going to step on someone's toes here and there. And uh, But it's, it's really irking me, but cancel culture also brings about a, a conundrum of sorts. And what do I mean by that? Um, the retaliation for people when uh, somebody or something gets canceled is to cancel that thing that, or person that canceled the canceler <laughs> or cancelee. So you just go into this never ending loop, you know, like uh, Gina Carano getting fired from Disney plus. Now everybody's saying, well, cancel Disney plus. But if you do that, then you're doing the exact same thing that she was kind of standing up against and the people are complaining about. So, um, and, and I understand both sides. I understand saying, you know, well, 
you got to protest and, and um, do the best way to do that is to hit them in the pocketbook and just canceling Disney plus will send a message to them and whatever. So look, they're not going to stop doing this stuff. The, you, the problem with the cancel culture is they've been emboldened. And no matter how many people complain, now the complaints are coming from both sides of the spectrum, right? They're coming from the left and the right. Um, there's a lot of people, I wouldn't say too far left. I mean, the, what I would call classic liberals, you know, your JK Rowling's and, and your Bill Maher's and people like that, that are really upset with the cancel culture. And then the people on the right, obviously can't uh, upset with the cancel culture, but it, it's, you know, just doing it. And, and the fact that they've been successful with it to a point, um, I mean, Gina Carano says, uh, you know, they can't cancel us if we don't let them. And I agree with that to a point. Um, but that's not going to stop them, unfortunately. And I don't know, I don't even have the answer as to what will stop them. Uh, but it's ridiculous that, you know, you've got to walk on eggshells or mind your P's and Q's. And, you know, who's the head of this cancel culture anyways? Just because some uh, small little group of, of jerks step up on Twitter and start complaining about somebody because of something they did, did or said or tweeted or whatever, that everybody says, no, no fire that person or cancel them or whatever. I mean, that everybody just complies and listens to it. You know, shame on Disney for, for bowing down to them and listening to it. And, but, but again, I don't necessarily agree with canceling Disney plus because you're doing the same thing that you're complaining about. Um, you know, I mean, is there an end to this cycle? How do you end the cycle with a nuclear bomb? (laughs) It's just going to keep, it's going to keep on going. This is how I look at it. I'm going to eat, and there's, look, there are, there are products and companies out there that maybe I don't agree with some of their their opinions and stuff like that, but I'm going to, look, I, I don't tell me what not to buy, what not to eat, not what, where to go, because I'm going to, I go, I'm going to do what I'm going to do regardless, unless it's they're doing some sort of sex trade or there's something really awful going going on, I'm just not going to. When people tell me, oh, you got to stop doing this or stuff, I don't know. You're probably going to make me now want to go out there and, and, and buy it. There's things like even with the company, with when it was Goya's products, just because the president, because they supported the president, he had a photo of that. You know what? There's stuff. When I, I make, I make um, Mexican food and Tex-Mex and stuff like that. You know, when their product's on sale, I buy it because I like the product. Do I, am I, was I a big Trump supporter? You know that I'm not, uh, you know. I'm not a supporter of any of them, to be honest with you, but I'm not going to stop buying it because he, they support him. I get where they're coming from and I understand why, why they do, but I'm going to buy it. I'm not going to don't, I'm not going to like when the whole thing with um, the Keurig, when people were blowing up their Keurig machines because <laughs> they pulled out of advertising with Sean Handy. Right. I was at a, I remember that week I was at, I was at a, target and there was a woman and her friend in front of me in line with one of those machines and they they were ticked off she said her her dumbass husband destroyed this thing because of over that whole thing so she had to go buy another one right. and i said well look i says i i said i i work for a very large technology company that deals with uh learning and development around it i said Kirk is owned by green mountain coffee they're the biggest roasters of coffee in the United States, one of the biggest in the world. And so you could go and buy another brand of coffee and drip it, your, do it yourself. And you're ban- there's a good chance. Them. Yeah, but it's a good chance. They're the ones who are doing the roasting. They did it for right. Starbucks. But I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I'm going to eat. 
I like to eat. So I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm going to shop where I want to shop. And I don't care. I don't have to agree with everybody on it unless it's some blatant, awful, terrible thing. I'm doing what I, I'm doing what I want. I don't care if it ticks anybody off or, yeah, or no, not. I'm, All it is is buying it or watching something. Who yeah, cares? I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I just, you know, I'm going to buy what I want to buy. Because <laughs> here's, here's the other thing, right? I complain a lot about the sheep mentality, right? People just get told something and they willingly follow. And that is so prevalent nowadays. It's just like as much as nobody believes the media or politicians, as soon as these people say something – they just automatically are willing to believe it. Well, the sheep mentality is also when people start getting upset. Well, cancel Coca-Cola, cancel Disney Plus, cancel Apple. Can't, can't. Look, they're, they're, they're complaining because, you know, Apple, both Apple and Google are, have a, were deplatformed uh, parlor. And I'm like, okay, who are you going to cancel? Apple and Google control all the, the, the smartphones. If you want to go back to a flip phone, fine. But most people aren't going to do that. You can't cancel both of them. Give me a break. Look, <laughs> your brother-in-law, Albie might do that. Well, my dad probably wouldn't mind that. But uh, my dad <laughs> actually is he's on a smartphone for the last few years. So kudos <laughs> to my dad. Um, but, you know, look. The way I look at it is if, if you, I'm not going to make fun of anybody who wants to stop using these products or not use the products or whatever, or people that are, are calling for it or whatever. You know, I, I'm more libertarian and everything. I look like, do what you want to do as long as you're not harming anybody. If you want to stop using it, stop you. If you want to use it, use it. I'm going to choose what I want to use based on my lifestyle and, and, and my family and whatever, and my personal preference. You know, I don't think that necessarily boycotts work and stuff like that. And I don't know that you're necessarily going to stop the cancel culture. And, you know, look, you could you can ding uh, Disney by a billion dollars and it's not going to phase them. Right. So canceling my Disney Plus account is and and I I won't I'm not going to lie to you. I thought about it. You know, I had a conversation with my daughter and, you know, uh, as uh, much as kids these days, teenagers don't get credit for a lot of things. I had a good, honest conversation with her and, you know, I saw her side of things and, uh, you know, it's just stupid to, to let this go round and round and round in circles. But anyways, there's so much more we can talk about, but I want to leave some room. We got a, a great special guest uh, today in Rudy Sarzo. You know, our, our guests just keep getting better and better on this show. And um, I'm really excited to talk to him. But so before we do that, uh, I know in our last episode, we didn't, uh, we weren't able to, because that was a really expanded episode, only two hours long, over two hours long. Uh, this won't be two hours long. Uh, trust me. Well, we don't think it will be anyways. We don't know what the conversation <laughs> with Rudy will bring on because Rudy's got so much to talk about with his life, whatever. But uh, I, I do want to boast about something. I just wanted to get this in here and, and kick off the new year with the boast. So let's cue this up. Rebel boast. All right. So, um, you know, most of you see me drinking a, a glass of wine usually here during the Blabber Brain Show, and I do have something delicious here, but I'm not here to boast about that. But the other thing I like to do is uh, uh, one of my favorite beers is uh, Sam Adams beer, the seasonal stuff. Um, I love their their summer uh, ale. I lo- love their winter lager. Um, but, they, and also their, uh, uh, their, Oktoberfest uh, for Halloween. But the one thing that was always lagging for me was something between the winter lager and the summer ale. And um, I didn't like the cold snap or the porch rocker. Um, but I did find something that I don't think it's going to take us all the way to spring. 
but Sam Adams actually did come up with a decent beer to kind of transition uh, into late winter. Uh, obviously, they're, that's probably not going to take us to spring, but it's this uh, Alpine Lager. Uh, and again, we don't, we don't, uh, we're working on sponsors. Sam Adams is not a sponsor of this show. This is just willingly talking about the Sam Adams, uh, Alpine lager. This or was like just, this. Well, there, well, yeah, I, we could block it, uh, but it defeats the purpose of blabbing about it. Um, now the Alpine lager was really good because it has such a unique flavor different than the, than, I don't know. Look, the Sam Adams, uh, what do they call them? The taste master. Is that what they, the brewmaster? The brewmasters, yeah, brewmasters. The brewmasters at the at Sam Adams, which is still considered a microbrewery, believe it or not. Um, as as I don't know what what classifies someone as not being a microbrewery when they have as many beers out as they are. But anyways, um, they get the the flavors of beer with the seasons like perfectly. Um, you know when I I it's it's because I've been down in Florida. In, in the summertime and I had some like winter lager left over and drinking winter lager in the, in the summer just, it doesn't blend right. And drinking the summer ale in the winter also doesn't blend right. I don't know what it is. And it might, might be psychosemantic. I don't know, but um, the Alpine lager, it does have this like refreshing taste to it. That's different than the, the, uh, the winter lager that has, it's a little more citrusy, a uh, little crisper, I'm just not a fan of the cold snap. Sorry, uh, Samuel Adams. You really probably just need to do away with that. Although I'm not sure how popular it is. I could be the only one that doesn't like cold snap. Who knows? Um, they keep making it. Somebody's probably well, drinking. Probably, it. but this is brand new. This just came out this year. I, I highly re- recommend the, the Samuel Adams Alpine Lager. Uh, if you're looking for that transition beer. Now, all these are usually in limited uh, 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 brews, so it's not out for very long. I, I think they really need to come out with um, – something for the springtime. Uh, maybe some people like the porch rocker, which is supposed to be that transition um, springtime beer. I wasn't a big fan of it. And uh, I'm not saying that Samuel Adams needs to do everything to please me. <laughs> they don't. I'm just giving my opinion here as, as, a, as a talking head. So anyways, do uh, you got anything to blab about? Not really. Not really. Um, nothing really new that I've... <clears throat> I mean, a little bit equipment wise and stuff, but I'm not, I don't have anything set up to be able to give you next time. All right. Well, Mark's clearly drinking an un- unmarked beer there. Maybe that unmarked company that begins with the letter M will uh, maybe want to pay up uh, as being a sponsor and, and we'll allow him to remove that label so we can reveal who that uh, brewery is uh, for those of you who haven't figured it out yet. So anyways, uh, so we'll cut this uh, version short, and that ends this edition of Boost. Okay, so uh, Rudy coming up, I, you know, I, that's going to be interesting to talk with him because there's just so much to talk about. And I know that what I don't want this to be is I don't want this to be the same old interview that he goes through. Um, I like to try to mix things up and try to talk about, um, you know, things that interest me. Uh, obviously if, if you have questions or whatever. So, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking with him. And, uh, obviously as we said before, um, at the beginning of the show, we're going to try to get more of these episodes out to you, you know, um, try to be a little bit more regular with them. Uh, if I had the time, I would be doing one, one a week, but, uh, I don't think either one of us have the time to do that. But anyways, uh, so, you know, I can't tell you when our next episode is going to be. All I can say is that we're going to try to do this more often, a little bit more frequently, because, you know, 
we're gaining in popularity. Our, our last uh, episode, you know, was our biggest viewed show to date. Uh, might have something to do with our, the guests that we had, John Elefante and Lacey Sturm. But, um, but I'd like to think maybe that some of those people are tuning in because of the, the ridiculous conversations that we have. <laughs> so, but uh, you never know. I, th- okay. I think what, I think what you need to do is you need to, you need to bring Cooper on more often. I think people, more people would tune in. If they yeah, get he to was, see I, I was looking at him. He was, he was behind me sniffing around my guitars and stuff when you were talking right. a little while ago, he's back to sleeping on the couch now. down here in my music room <laughs> in the basement. So he's good. We'll have to ask Rudy some stuff about, about, uh, dogs too he yeah he's to be, a big uh, uh, a lot with that he's a big uh, uh sheltered dogs advocate and animal rights Cooper. activist so but um anyway so yeah we'll get into that with him shortly so we're going to take a quick break it'll be quick for you a little bit longer for us but uh we'll see you back here shortly Labyrinths. And welcome back to Blabberbrain Show, season two premiere. And we are kicking it off right, like I said before, with a very special guest, a legendary bass player, Rudy Sarzo. Let's give him a hand, everybody. Yay! Woo! <laughs> Great, Rudy. We really appreciate you coming on with us. Now, oh, like my pleasure. Said, um, I, I, we do have some uh, younger people that tune into us, but I would hope that even the young people, even if they don't know you by name, they know all of the bands mm-hmm. that you've been associated with, including Ozzy Osbourne and Quiet Riot and White Snake and Dio, and he, you know, even I mean, toddlers, toddlers know Ozzy Osbourne, <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, how do you not know the, these names? Uh, Rudy's, Rudy's, Sorry, I mean to cut you off. Your mind. Rudy's synonymous with all these. I mean, like I said, the, it's it's the the. I guess the the good and the bad about being uh, you know members of of ensemble bands that um, as in a matter of fact it's something that we'll talk about your your hired gun uh, documentary that you were in um, that you know everybody knows the work that you've done but and my, everybody might even know your face but it's like. I think the people that really know you, the people from your era and my era, like, you know, the eighties, the nineties, the, you know, early two thousand, whatever, cause they know the bands. And so they know your name, but as we go into new uh, generations, you know, the name might not be as a household of the name as it used to be, but sure, certainly the work is still there of all the work that you've done. Um, and, you know, how do you like personally, where are you at with all of that? I mean, I know you don't do most, I, I, a lot of musicians I know aren't doing what they do for name recognition and notoriety. They're doing it because they love to do it and you play with the bands you play with because you love to play it. But, um, you know, is this something you just kind of roll with the punches and take? Is it something that's not super important to you or is it the path that you've already left behind you is what's important? Uh yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to like get to the core of the of answering your question. Uh, I mean, I I play music because I I, I love to play music. I just uh, I play, I play music if if we're if I'm not doing interviews or my own radio show, I'm I'm playing. I'm recording as a matter of fact. Before we started this podcast, I I just finished up a project that. Uh, we do, we musicians nowadays, just to keep our, our chops up and, and to uh, pay tribute to our heroes, we do a lot of projects, tribute projects. Mm-hmm. I, I just did one last week, uh, uh, actually it's for the David Z Foundation. 
uh, he's a bassist and there's a, uh, a foundation and, and all the proceeds goes to uh, music education. And David Z was a uh, bassist for Trans-Siberian Orchestra and many other bands. And he passed away in a, in a uh, horrible uh, tour bus crash. Oh, I remember hearing about ago. that. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing about that. A couple yeah. of years ago. So there's uh, his brother put together a foundation for him. And so I, I get this this uh, email from this uh, dear friend of mine, Jeff Scott Soto. He's a mm-hmm. singer. Uh, he's been with many, many bands. Uh, yeah, I know. One of them, the Sons of Apollo currently. And he says, hey, would you like to play on Superstition? And I went, yeah, of course. So then he tells me the lineup, and the lineup wound up being a Sugarfoot, which is the uh, drummer for Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. playing on that. I said, okay, awesome. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, Steve Stevens playing guitar. Nice. And uh, let's see, Spike Etney, who's actually the uh, the utility musician in Queen. He's also the uh, the music director for the band because right. you know of course they bring extra musicians nowadays when queen goes on tour but he was there when freddie mercury was still with the band oh wow you know like right after live aid they right. added him and right. and he's been touring with the band since then so you know it's it's really high caliber musicians and uh, we did superstition and it came out great uh then I just, right after that, I jumped into another tribute. This one is to Leslie West. And this is with Eddie Ojeda and Mike uh, from Twisted Sister and Mike Portnoy. Right. Who again, placing Sons of Apollo. And I've done some other projects, you know, tribute projects with him lately. And uh, I just finished doing the, uh, the bass track for a song called uh, Theme from Imaginary Western, which is definitely my favorite mountain song. And it was written by Jack Bruce. So I treated it also as a tribute to Jack Bruce, who passed away a while ago. But still, right. you know, I wanted to do something for him. Right. So, right. you know, I don't do that because of notoriety. I, I, I do that because it's, hell, it's, it's a lot of fun to play, to play with my buddies and go from a, you know, a, a R&B song like Superstition to something more heavy, a mountain song. You know, that's like, great i i love the challenge you know now i'd like to hear you do a, a chris squire uh tribute <laughs> you know chris, chris is it's see chris is so you know there's people that really do chris really well having said that having said that i i had a different approach with the stevie wonder track because you know once you have sugarfoot playing on it mm-hmm. that's that's the foundation and and he's gonna play the way Stevie wants it to to you know should should it should be played right. That's how he approached it. And I'm listening to the track to the original version, and I hear and I go, hmm. There's like basically four instruments on that. There's drums, which Stevie played on the record. Then there's uh, clavinet. There's no guitar. It's right. just clavinet. And then the horn section, which. I'm not. I'm not entirely, completely sure that if it's actually horns or a synthesizer, <laughs> because Stevie was a wizard at getting these sounds. You know, so it could be a synthesizer. Right. And then the bass is actually a a a mode bass, like a, you right know, mode, a yeah. keyboard yep. bass. Yep. And what happens is, this is you know, 
Stevie Wonder, he produces his music. So, you know, it was, there wasn't a situation where a producer said, mm, Stevie, can you play this more like, like an actual bass player would do? <laughs> no, you play like Stevie Wonder plays music. Right, right. Really outside the box. So I'm listening to it and the sound, every time I pick one of my basses, I went, wow, it sounds like a bass guitar. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't have that grease that this keyboard has. Right. Bass keyboard. So I finally hone in on the tone. I, I mean, I, I spent almost a whole day working on that, just getting the right sound. Because without the right sound, it's just... Right, doesn't, doesn't work. It's, right. it's like having a, the wrong actor cast in a play. Right, you know, yep, yep. You know, the script calls for this, and this is what you should deliver. You know, right. now, now you got the character, you got the personality, now you work it, and, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I... You know, what, what makes this song timeless is that when you hear it, there's a certain elements. It's a recipe. All these elements stacked up that makes it completely different from anything that comes on the radio because it's out of the mind of Stevie Wonder. Right. So I wanted to do a tribute to that. I wanted to like, you know, like, okay, this is, this is kind of like, of course, I'm not playing it exactly or everything, but it's in the essence of it. I didn't it, want it to get away too far from the original. So if Stevie wanted to hire a bass player, he would have hired you for this spot based on no, like, is no. That <laughs> no, no, actually he has bass players that, but those bass players, they cop what Stevie does. Right. Cause that's, that's where the magic is. Right. Yep. See, Stevie creates his own magic by playing everything. Right. Even when McCartney, like if you listen to McCartney's first solo record right after the Beatles, it's him playing everything. Guitars, keyboards, drums, bass, of course, singing. Right. Everything. You know, like uh, maybe I'm amazed. That's him. Right. And his somewhere in Scotland in a farm that he had with the kids running around and and his family and just he's recording the song. And it's and it's it sounds like if you bring in studio musicians to play on that that track, it just loses all the magic. Yeah. You know, so I that's what I wanted to capture. It's a little bit of magic in there, some of those ingredients. And then for the uh, uh, theme from Imaginary Western, Jack Bruce, Jack Bruce is one of those musicians that totally inspired me to play because, again, fresh approach. He's a shallow player who made the transition to bass. I asked him that question, how do you make the transition from bass to, uh, um, from shallow to playing the bass? And he says this, you can't, you cannot pick up chicks with the shallow. That's what he told me. <laughs> That's the only difference. Huh? <laughs> I said, we're, we're thinking alike here. Okay. <laughs> well, <you> know, <laughs> but, but the point is, is, you know, he brought a lot of musicality to anything that he did because he already had that classical background musically a musician, you know, there's my generation grew up listening to some of the greatest train these guys knew music there mm-hmm. was music school you know like uh, like all these guys that came out of the whole british invasion well they learned music in school right it wasn't like just just pick up a guitar and, and learn three chords and hey i got an mtv video i'm a big star now <laughs> no no i mean it was like jimmy page studio musician studio musician right right john paul jones studio musicians i mean so half of led zeppelin is actually guys who hone in their craft 
playing anything, everything that came in front of them, sheet music, charts, they could read everything. So of course, when it comes time to put their own band, they have all this experience. You yeah, know? I think, I think so, all that probably changed probably somewhere in the eighties, you know, with everybody just wanting to yes. be a rock star, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's to me, that's more like the rock star era. And, and you know, and let's say for example, you have Van Halen, like, yeah, you got this, the, you know, you got Eddie Van Halen, the incredible trained musician. He comes mm-hmm. from a musical family, yep. his father, yep. you know, and, and his brother too. I mean, very musical. Classically so you trained. got the musical side. Yeah, exactly. You have the musical side of, uh, of Van Halen and then you got the rock star, David Lee Roth, beautiful <laughs> balance. You know, right. you got something Who's not classically trained. Right. <laughs> right. No, right. So, but I, I I think he was the greatest front man of his generation. 100%. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. We, but Absolutely. then you look at him today and you're like, what happened to you, Dave? There's, there's so many no, other. He's still Dave. He's still, still Dave. Dave. He's still Dave. It's he's still, still a showman. He's still a showman. He's just a different kind of showman. Yeah. But, but uh, then again, it's, it's what doesn't grow dies, you know, so he's growing yeah. somewhere and, yeah, you know, you're right. we don't he, have different evolved, evolved. Right. Evolved. I mean, our perception of, of, uh, of, 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 you know, David Lee Roth is we're stuck. I mean, I'm not, but the, the, the consensus is the perception we're stuck with Dave in the eighties. And he right. says, no, I'm more yeah. than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, like, like him or love him. I mean, either, you know, hate him exactly. or love him. It's he's unapologetic about it too, which is, you gotta, you gotta admire that, you know? So yeah, uh, as, it, as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, because you've played in so many iconic bands, um, mm. I would say that, uh, you know, I mean, it, to some degree, some of the bands that you played in, you were necessarily that, that, that hired gun. Uh, I don't, I don't personally consider like, as I'm thinking about the bands that you've been in, uh, like quiet riot, I wouldn't consider you to be a hired gun with, with quiet riot. Yeah, once, once you sign your name on a, on a, on a record deal, uh, you're, you're not, you're not a hired gun anymore right. because you're, you're, you're part of the pie for better or for worse. I mean, you sign your name on a record deal, it's basically you're you're taking out a big mortgage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, because what happens is the record company gives you an advance, you make a record that you will recoup someday, hopefully, and then that's when you start making money on the record, but they own the house even after you pay for the recruitment. Right. Well, you, know, you were, you were, I mean, you were brought into Aussie early on uh, and helped, yeah. helped kind of shape uh, Aussie's solo career uh, to a degree, I think a big degree. Um, well, I mean, I mean, you know, there, it, my, my degree was very minor compared I, I, to, let's say, Randy Rhodes. Randy right. Rhodes was a collaborator. Exactly. I, I never really got to collaborate with Aussie. I played on two records, Tribute right. and, and uh, Speak of the Devil. Right. But I'm saying when people think about, uh, you know, early Aussie, you know, you know, Bob Daisley, Rudy Sarzo, that's what mm-hmm. you're, you're thinking about early Aussie, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, early quiet riot. I mean, like I said, quiet riot goes back all the way to the seventies, like before you were, were in the band and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when people think of quiet riot, they're thinking of, you know, come on, feel the noise. And, you know, so they're thinking, they look at you as part of the band, so to speak. Um, is, is yeah, there, they, they, do you know that I was in Quiet Riot 
with Randy. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I do okay. know. That. I know. I know that part of your story. Okay. I'm, I'm trying not to. I mean, yeah. I know there's a lot of people that probably already know a lot of this stuff, so I don't want to rehash it. But I, you know, just for those of you that don't know it, let's let's just real quickly let's recap because I know there's that's kind of how you you ended up with Ozzy too, right? Was because of Randy is the one that well, got I mean, you. Yeah, right. Otherwise, so like, I would have, yeah, I wouldn't have even been on the radar. Yeah. But, but you originally met Kevin Dubrow, correct? Um, is that how you got into Quiet Riot or how yeah, did that? Uh, passing, passing. Right. Um, I, I, I saw Quiet Riot performing at the Starwood like around 77, 76, mm-hmm. 77. I, I, I made, I've made three trips to LA. The first two, I ran out of money on my last one. That's, that's when I stayed. And I came back in 70, 78. Yeah, 78. That's when I returned to LA. So it could have been in 76 or 75. Or, you know, <laughs> right, right, God right. Knows, you know. uh, but uh, yeah, it was uh, during that time and I ran into Ke- uh, Kevin. And uh, after the show that I, I that I watched them perform at the Starwood, and I just told him, "Hey, man, you know, which I've done many times. You know, if I see a band that they're on the right track, I, you know, just just as a fan of music, I tell him, hey, you guys, you know, keep keep doing what you're doing. You guys are you got these things going on, and you know, very soon you you guys are gonna you guys are gonna make it. You know, right. basically, yeah." You know. So, and then, uh, so how did that work out? Like they needed a bass player and Kevin contacted you or, um, what was that, yeah. that progression? Yeah, actually, um, the, uh, Kelly Garney who was the, uh, the, uh, the, the first basis that they had, um, uh, something happened and he wrote about it in his book. So if anybody's interested, just, you know, Google that. And he was out of the band. So they tried everybody in town and, they didn't feel like they have found the right guy. I was out of town when this was going on. I was in New Jersey, and but I was ready to return to LA. And uh, so I got a call from Kevin because people kept saying, well, if you haven't found the right guy, uh, Rudy's the guy that you're looking for then. So eventually he called me and I just happened to be, I already have my ticket to return to LA the following week. So I told him that and he said, okay, so call me when you uh, get into it, into town. And I did, I went down audition and got the gig and started playing with Quiet Riot. Nice. And the rest is history, as they say. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, you, obviously you, uh, <laughs> you, you get that great relationship with Randy going and, and he brings mm-hmm. you over into Aussie. Now the, from most reports, you know, here's one thing I really am interested in asking you. Um, Cause I don't hear you may, I'm sure you've, said this somewhere along lines in an interview, but I haven't seen it. The Aussie camp in those days uh, was kind of a, a toxic environment uh, because of, of, of Sharon and Aussie controlling everything. But I've, I've really never heard you speak ill of Aussie or Sharon. You're already very, very grateful for the opportunity they gave you and bringing you into the band and everything like that. And you still, I think to this day, kind of, um, you don't, you know, that's just not your style. You don't talk bad about anybody, to be honest with you. No, but, so, um, but explain that. Like, like, was your relationship different than what some of the other musicians experienced with them? I, you know, I, my perception, which is based on experience purely because I was there. I've been in toxic environments, in bands, and 
playing with Ozzy and having Sharon as our manager was the furthest away from a toxic environment wow. that I've ever been in. Wow. That's, uh, well, that's great so, to hear. So, so that's why you've never, yeah, that's why you never heard me say anything negative because it was not. So is they that, took, uh, they, is the, there's a rumor and I guess, can you put the rest of rumor or maybe confirm mm-hmm. it that when you, you played, uh, I mean, one of the biggest uh, kickoffs for, Quiet Riot was playing at the US Festival and there was a rumor that you and Ozzy bumped into each other and had a little riff or something like that. Was that just BS or was, did that actually happen? US Festival? Yeah. I never saw Ozzy. Okay, so so like, I, I didn't see any of the other bands because we flew in the day before. We, I, we were added to the bill like two days before the show. Right. So we did a, uh, we played Denver, Barry Faye, the promoter, uh, invited us to play at the US Festival because they had just moved Joe Walsh from the metal day to the following day. And there was an opening spot and we got offered the opening spot, took it. Then we did a show in El Paso the next day and we flew straight from El Paso. We landed in LA and we went to the area where, you know, went to the hotels. It's around San Bernardino, uh, the site of the US Festival. And went to sleep, got up really early. We took off very early because we had to, we didn't have helicopters. We had a van that was, that, that was supplied to take us from the hotel to the venue. We didn't have a road crew. Uh, it was all rental gear. And we did our show, <laughs> finished our show, went back to the, uh, went to the airport and flew right out. I see nobody. <laughs> okay, so we just dispelled yeah. that rumor here on Black no, Brain Show. There, so. <laughs> there was there was an altercation uh, between Ozzy and me uh, in 1984. Okay, 84. so a year later. About a year later, uh, by then the band had taken off. Right. You know, and it is 1984 in the summer of 1984 at a at a hotel. That was it. Hmm. And uh, I mean, obviously it wasn't bad enough where it like lasted forever. I mean, and, but, uh, and you don't have to get into the details of it, but. uh, As a matter of fact, the, the, uh, a few months later, Sharon was managing me and Tommy Aldridge in a project because I had left choir riot in 85. So it's a few months later that this Sharon was, uh, was my, my manager. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, did any of that have to do with you and Tommy get, uh, getting into Whitesnake at all? Or, I mean, I mean, I know, um, the what, the what had to do with like, with like, like uh, being, uh, like did Sharon have anything to do with that or did you guys just, uh, no, no you- nothing at all. No, because it, it, her involvement with Tommy and me only lasted a, a few weeks because Ozzy is a full-time job. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so it's, it's, well, I mean, when you, when you were brought in, when you were brought into White Snake, that was, I mean, I could probably think back. I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, that was the first kind of known supergroup, where it was a, a known band that put together other well-known musicians to form this band of like, okay, we're a powerhouse. We are a, a force to be reckoned with because David Coverdale, I'm sure. I'm not, I don't want to give him the credit if he doesn't deserve the credit, but maybe was the one that had that foresight to say, let's put together something that's going to really catch people's attention. And that's going to be not just the music, but the personalities and the names that, that we'll bring together to put in this band. 
Um, I mean, was that kind of how that formed or? No, no, it's a whole different, it's a whole different reality. Uh, what happened was that White Snake in, in 1984 was the opening band for Quiet Riot. Okay. And that's when I, I met David and, you know, we were on tour. So we saw each other every day. And, uh, so the last day, the last night of White Snake opening up for Quiet Riot, we threw the band, Quiet Riot, threw them a little party and we were hanging out. And then as we were saying goodbye, uh, David gives me a hug and says, and says to me, we're going to be playing together very soon. This is 1984. Right. So, you know, by, uh, by the end of 1985, I, I had given Quiet Riot notice that I was leaving Quiet Riot after, at the end of the Condition Critical Tour. So once my commitments were done, complete, I, I was off. And so I, Tommy and I, we decided to start the band, which is kind of like the period I told you when Sharon was managing us. Right. And then uh, I get, um, Tommy and I, we get this call from, from David's management company to have a meeting and we go in, they offer us to come in and be part of the band in 1985. Right. And I asked, so who else is in the band? And they say, well, we have John Sykes remains. And having experienced the friction that was going on between John Sykes and David while we were on tour together, mm. I, I decided that it was not gonna be a good move for me because there was a lot of uncertainty yeah, you know, and I just didn't want to have left one situation to join another situation. Right. Yeah. I get so it. fast forward a couple of years later, Tommy and I we worked on trying to get things off the ground. We we did the record with uh, Tony McAlpine, mm -hmm. Project Rock Driver, Project uh, Yeah Project Driver. Right. And uh, so, you know. Uh, that didn't pan out into a major uh, deal. We actually released it on uh, Shrapnel. So Mike Barney could actually recoup his uh, in, uh, investment in the creation of the record. So uh, by the time in, by the time we got another phone call, this time from John Collatner from Geffen, mm -hmm. asking Tommy and I to come down and play on the video on the video, perform, do a video with White Snake. Just a video. And right? we, yeah, we agree was for still the night. Right. And, and the day of the video, we, I run into Vivian, who I knew from LA and Adrian Vandenberg, who in 83, Quiet Riot, the first dates that we did outside of Los Angeles, we did some shows with Vandenberg in, in the San Francisco area. So I have met Adrian and all of that. So that's how that came about. Okay. So it, 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 there was no really, uh, it wasn't like a pre-thought of, of making a super group. It kind of just happened, so to speak. Well, David, David put a wish list together right. and gave it to John Collatner. And then how, what about uh, uh, Vivian Campbell? Like how, when did he come in to play? Yeah. At the same time. He was, no, he was time. part of, he was part of the wish list. Yeah. Okay. I'm <laughs> on the wish list. That was yeah. And, and also he had already been, working with Adrian. Adrian got to perform on record the uh, Here I Go Again solo, guitar mm -hmm. solo. So okay. by the time that happened, there was a time where uh, a, a period where uh, John Sykes came in, recorded, it took about two years to make that record. John Sykes recorded guitars, but there was some stuff that was not finished, like Dan Huff 
also plays on the record. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, so Adrian came in and did the guitar solo. Okay. On, on Here I Go Again. So right. Adrian was already solid in the band. It was just a matter of fill, fill, filling everything up with other musicians. Well, I mean, since you've, you, I mean, joining White Snake, like I said, it was already an established band with a kind of a, a, a sound that was kind of already emerging and changing and stuff like that. And then being in Quiet Riot, where, um, again, you know, being a, a core part of that band, is what is the difference between, in your eyes, like trying to blend in with everybody else, but still bringing your flavor in there versus you know, being part of a, of a core that's creating things. Like whenever you and, and uh, Tommy Aldridge were trying to form a band, obviously that was going to be your nucleus, your, your brainchild. It, there's, there's got to be a difference between like, you don't have, do you still have the, the freedom to say, okay, well, I'm Rudy Sarzo. I'm just going to play this the way I do. Or I, you're, you got to say, I got to stay within the box of white snake. Well, you have to be smart. You have to, you know, you join the band. The band is not joining you. Right. That's how it's a reality. I've been in bands that have been there for a while and, or I've been one of the founding members and new individual comes in and tries to change everything to create a comfort zone for them. So it's kind of like, I'm going to change the sound. I'm going to play different than what's already recorded that the fans know. And it's kind of like, no, it doesn't sound right. Because there's a reason why things are laid out the way they are. You know, when you make a record, especially in, you know, traditional record, I'm talking about not making record in your bedroom, but actually you, you get a record deal, you're assigned a, a producer, and uh, you work, you do a pre-production, you go through all the songs, you go through the arrangements and everything, there's filters. And then the artist relation person says, now, you know, I don't hear a single yet. So they might bring in an outside writer. It's a process. Right. And you have to respect that. That's how you make a, a timeless record, you know. And uh, so bearing that in mind, you respect the process and you respect what the fans already love and have bought that record and buy the t-shirts of the band. So you, the last thing you want to do is go in there and change everything. Well, I mean, through history, um, one guy that gets a lot of credit with, um, with shaping those type of bands uh, during that era is John Kolodner. Is, is, that giving him to, is, that, is he really that much of a genius? I put it this way. He doesn't get enough credit. Okay. That's good to know. Um, I, I've always kind of looked up to him and admired him um, because, it, you know, especially like I, I think that uh, even uh, Steven Tyler and Aerosmith kind of give him a lot of credit uh, for their resurgence and whatnot. And I know he was a big part of Whitesnake and like I said, several other bands. So, um, you know, it's it's what is it about that? Is it just a vision that he has? Is it just an intuition about the bands or what is it? No, I mean, I, it's, it's, you know, I, I just, for my radio show, I just did a, uh, uh, an episode with Andrew Lug Olden, which was the original Rolling Stones manager and producer mm -hmm. back in wow. the day when the producer actually paid for, for, for the session, not the band. Right. And owned the masters along with the band, you know, 
And we're still alive. You still alive? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. And uh, with a great sharp memory. So we were talking about details, and we were talking about the first day that he's the first night show he saw the Rolling Stones. They were playing at some at a, at a pub in a train station outside of London. And at the time he was a he was doing pretty good as a publicity, public relations uh, man. Right. Uh, he was working with the Beatles. Uh, he had been he had uh, worked with Bob Dylan on his first trip to London. And he wasn't looking for a band. He just uh, there was this friends of his that say, "Hey, you should check these guys out because I'm pretty sure at some point they're going to need a publicist." Wow. Walks in, hears it, and, and 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 it's just like something overcame, just came over him. Right. And he got it, and that says, "I got to work with these guys. I can take yeah. it from here to where you should be." Now, right. where you should be at that time, you have no idea. Like I, I, I told him, <laughs> I asked him. What were you thinking? World domination? And he says, "No, our world was London. That was it. Right? It wasn't. Then you know, it, as, as it grows, and there's the British invasion. This is prior to the British invasion. The Beatles hadn't played Ed Sullivan yet. Right? When this is going on, you know, this is these are guys who basically pioneered out of nothing. This was created. Right? Andrew, Brian Epstein." You know, uh, everybody that was involved in that scene, because it wasn't just two guys. It was about, there, were, there was like a, a, a network of all of these great producers, managers, entrepreneurs, promoters, because you need everybody, record company guys, uh, producers, you know, everybody that contributed to that. Now you fast forward, you know, you go 60s and 70s, and then you go to, to the 80s, and you have John Collander. John Kalatner reinvented. I put it this way. I was working with John Kalatner, not signed to him, but I was in a band called Angel before he joined uh, yeah. Ozzy. Right. And he had just gotten signed. He, they were brought in, he was brought in to work at, at Geffen, you know, as an artist relation man. And, you know, they had just signed Elton John, I believe. John Lennon. He was John Lennon's you know, A&R, A&R guy. Right. You know, and he um, was there when he got shot. Oh, man. Not, man. not in the spot, but, right, but right, you know, he, right. he, you know, Yoko called him and, you know, he was there. You know, they all arrived to, to you know, at the scene. And uh, I got to tell you, you know, he reinvented Cher, reinvented Weissnake, reinvented Aerosmith. Right. And a few other more, right. you know. Uh, is he a genius? Yeah, he said, I really consider these guys geniuses because you cannot put your finger. What are these? What do these guys do? It's magic. They're right. like wizards, you know, because they see they see things that well, other people proof might is not in the pudding. see. The proof is in yeah. the, 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 the outcome, yeah. you know. So. Yeah, and if you really want to catch something uh, like likewise of what it takes to be one of those individuals. Uh, there's a Showtime, I believe it's Showtime. There's a Rick Rubin uh, documentary. It's called Shangri-La, Shangri-La, okay. right? right? Which is, it's, it's the name of this record stu uh, recording studio he's got in Malibu. 
but it's it's Rick Rubin going through the evolution, and he's it's the same thing. He's one of those guys who, when he's there in his presence, things happen. Right. He's a wow. conduit. Right. You know, yeah, I highly recommend that documentary. So you can see the process in, fr- the, in front of your eyes, how it develops. You'll have to check that out. So uh, I'll ask you something you probably won't uh, answer, but maybe you will. Who knows? Since you've been in so many uh, great bands, uh, you know, is there, is there anything, any band that you would say stands out to say, when I was part of this band, it was the best time in my life, or this was the best situation I've been oh, in? Oh, yeah, you, I, I, can't, I can't really associate best time of my life with going on stage with a band. Right. Because it's two different, it's totally disconnected. Well, let's, let's, just, let's, let's keep it to a band-wise. Like, what was the best you band know, that you let, were part of? say... I was I, I was broke when I was playing with Randy Rose and Choir Riot, and getting up, you know, playing playing with with Randy and Choir Riot locally in LA was one of the best times I've ever had on stage. Right, it was a blast, <laughs> but it was not the best time in my life. Right, you know, off the stage. So they're all really the best times of my life. I mean, on stage, uh, we uh, playing playing with Ozzy. But it's the same band after then after Randy died, it was not it was the worst time of my life. Mm, yeah. Because Randy had died. So it's still the same band. Uh Quiet Riot, the best time was, you know, when we first started out and we were driving ourselves around in station wagons and Winnebago's and whatever, and we got to number one. And then shit happens. Right. It was not the best time of my, my life anymore because right. you know, there was personality conflicts arouse, you know, with time. And then I joined Whitesnake. It was wonderful. I think, you know, that, that, that was, that was pretty solid. There was a bit of uncertainty uh, in the middle of that period when Vivian was uh, let go, let go. Right. And I, haven't been in situations where where like you so you you have a certain success within with a with a with a formation a band five guys or whatever the number might be right and one of, on one of the pieces is removed it's not the same anymore hmm. yeah I so there was a lot of ones of uncertainty I mean I've seen footage of myself that was taken during the pre-production of Slip of the Tongue. And I could tell, it, it reminded me how uncertain, how mm, it wasn't the same anymore. Right. You know, because we, we had chemistry. We had, you know, where was a certain innocent magic about us, you know. And then Steve Ive came in, the fold, and, you know, it right. was very different. It was not the white snake with, with Vivian. It was a great white snake, but a different white snake, too, at the same time. They, they were both great bands. You know, yeah, he, he definitely Indian brought version. his flavor to the band. Steve Vai definitely brought his flavor to yes, the sound. Yes, yes, he did. And but but it was a Steve is very smart. You know, it was it was 
his 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 sound, but fitting it within Whitesnake. It was right. still, you know, because there was not much he could change because all the music had already been written by by Adrian um, and the uh, the rhythms tracks like Tommy and myself had already been laid out. So it was kind of like like Steve reimagining right. what already had been created and adding his own his own sound right. to it. But the parts, you know, and I, and I know, I mean, parts, when I say parts is chord changes, arrangements, and so on. Steve made it sound, gave it his own, he played his own things. He, he, he did not play exactly what Adrian had played on the demos because all those songs had demo versions of it. Right. So he played it like Steve Vai would play it. But it, it had to go with what the foundation was that we had already laid out. Well, um, also now, flash forward a, a few years, um, when you were playing with uh, Jeff Tate, you also got to play with your brother, uh, mm -hmm. Robert, in that, uh, that version of the band. Um, was that the first time you got to play with him in a, in a, like a popular band or was, uh, had you guys teamed up before or was this something new for you guys? I mean, I know, I think that Robert was supposed to actually, um, uh, wasn't he supposed to be uh, brought in, uh, to Ozzy at one point in time? Um, yeah, uh, when, when Randy passed away, but, uh, there was a lot of confusion going on and, and we, uh, Sharon was not aware that Bernie Torme, when he was sent from London office, Jet Records office to uh, to LA, he already had been paid for playing with Ozzy. Mm. So once Robert was announced that he got the gig, and then Bernie said, "Well, but I've already been paid." There's <laughs> a lot of confusion, confusion, right. and you know, going on. So, uh, yeah, so that's what happened. Yeah, uh, playing with him in the Jeff Tate's version of, uh, of, of uh, Queensryche. Uh, yeah, that was the first time we actually went, went on the road in oh, a cool. national, national act. Right. So, I mean, what, I mean how, what's the kind of chemistry with you and your brother? Is there, like, I, you know, I, I can sometimes think of, you know, Bob and Bruce Kulik, you know, they just did not, have a good relationship with each other musically. They were, they were, they were good and they were no, great. But we, uh, we, yeah, we grew up playing together. Right. So yeah, like, I mean, was, that, that was yeah. a good, it was a good environment to have him playing with you in the yeah, band. As a matter of fact, I play, I play with my brother up until we separated in when he got married and settled in New Jersey. And I decided to, 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 uh, to continue, uh, and I, I, I went to Chicago and then eventually wound up in L.A. for the first time. So in the mid-70s, 75, 76, that's when Robert uh, and I parted ways. So, right. so we did play for a while, long time together. Oh, well, that's cool. At least, I mean, I said it's also uh, uh, good that you eventually got to kind of join forces and, and play, even if it was yeah. just for a little bit of time to play together in a band. Yeah. So I want to go back to, um, you know, when, when you and I, first met and for those that don't, don't know this part about your background and it's kind of an odd way for someone with a mu music background like myself and, and for you and uh, to meet was 
through animation. Most people know about me, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, my with ZoetFX and uh, the the efforts with animation stuff like that. Where you and I kind of struck up a conversation about animation, and met whenever you were playing with Blue Oyster Cult uh, when you came into Pittsburgh. And um, I was really, at, believe me, at that point in time, and even still to this day. People give me their their resumes and reels and have me look at things and and uh, they're very impressed with their own work. But then I see it, I'm like, oh, this is just this is garbage, whatever they and and it's hard to watch. And so when I hear about you being involved in animation and you want to show me your reel and stuff, I was preparing myself to just be kind and nice and just oh that's nice. But I was pretty blown away by your animation stuff. It was actually really good. So how did you get involved with doing animation and, and are, are you still doing anything with that today? No. Well, yeah, yes and no. Uh, I say yes, because I am involved with an animated project, but myself, I'm not, I'm not doing animation anymore. But having said that, being in the meeting with, with the whole crew, I completely understand what the conversation is all about. You know, uh, Let's say if we are using motion capture to generate animation or was it done, done by hand of anything, the scenery, the everything. I, yeah. So since I was, I, I was trained. Okay. Here's my background. Uh, at one point, Avid, not only on uh, Avid, the right. editing software, yep. but also Pro Tools. And then they had which was, uh, at the time, was the state-of-the-art CG program software, uh, Softimage. Right, I remember that. They, yep. owned, they, they owned that. So, you know, through my, uh, through my connections with Pro Tools and Avid, because at the time I was just interested in doing, you know, just regular video editing, they say, hey, listen, you know, I, if you're interested, uh, we, I, you know, we can train you. We have people that would train, you know, are, are the same people that go around to studios every time somebody buys a new software and they right. need some training. These are the guys. So I was trained. Oh, nice. You know, by the, uh, by the softy much, uh, you know, staff. Uh, so that really helped me. Now I already had a background with 3ds max, but you know, every time you go from one software to the other, it's a whole different learning. You have to relearn it, right? Yep. Yeah. So what I, what conceptually I understood it, but as far as the steps and, and, and getting around the, uh, you know, the board, it was, yeah, it had a, a huge learning curve, but, but it was one of those things that I just dove in and I went crazy with it. And I, and I really enjoyed it. And then Softy March got sold to, uh, to Autodesk, which already, right. they, they had 3DS Max originally, and then they, they, they acquired Maya, Maya and, right. and Softy March was the trifecta. And they basically took a lot of the features from Softy March and put those into Maya. And, and they kind of like, eh, they got rid of, <laughs> Get right with it. Right. And by then, I had gotten Lasix, and I, I, got, I could see again. The reason why I got so heavy into CG animation was because uh, I could create just sitting in, a, in my hotel room with my glasses. And I, then I would go on stage, and I, I could barely see what I was playing. <laughs> and what, once I got Lasix, it just changed my, right. my life. Oh, nice. Know? 
Well, I often think that uh, that's that's one thing that would help uh, the the big M's career over there if I just find a way to animate him. Uh, in, instead, maybe that might uh, really really kick off your your career well, a little bit better. Natural animation, just look at me. You know? Well, I, yeah, <laughs> it does, I don't know that that uh, it, it'll translate well to to animation because you know at least the you that you can get to grab the character and the look and the feel but not the personality of the big end. It, it 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 doesn't uh, equate to much in real life animation could make it a little bit more interesting that's all i'm saying well that 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 is true anything to make me more interesting i thought you're gonna make a crack about lasix and stuff being i'm blind in my left legally blind in my well, left lasix not gonna help say, you oh, Mark, that's a shame they can't come up with something so you could see better yeah that's not going to help you there or they hear that. yeah no. so uh, also now i know uh, your, your faith is a is a is very important to you and it's a big part of your life uh what i've noticed uh, over the last 10 years or so especially like being on social media and stuff i'm noticing a lot of musicians from the 80s uh, being very uh, outspoken about their faith and it's a big part of their life now. Is this a, uh, just a growing up thing with people? Is this something that, cause you don't think about that and you don't hear about that. Like when, at least when I was growing up and you think of those bands and you think of those musicians and, and is it, are we just in a different point in time where people are more open to talk about it or is it, have these people transitioned to make it probably more important in their life? Like, what about you? Like, was that has this always been a big part of your life, or is this something that has been transitioning in you? Well, I I wrote about it in my book. It's in chapter two. Uh, I've been reading the Bible every day since the mid seventies. Before I made, you know, while I was still a starving musician, you know, and I uh, I I surrendered my life to God. Right before I started playing with Ozzy, not with no promises. It's just, and I wrote about it in my book. I, I, I wrote about, you know, having that epiphany and, and just having, you know, telling God that my relationship with God was more important than making as a musician. But if I, <coughs> sorry, but if I, uh, but I would be, I will keep playing as long as my fingers keep holding. And that was it. It was very simple. And that freed me a lot completely. And then I get the call, you know, to audition for Ozzy and I got the gig. And, and uh, but I think what's happening now is that since there's more, I mean, like we're having this conversation and it's, and it, it will wind up on social media, on the internet, and then people, Whoever watches it learns this about me. Whereas, if without the technology to do this, it, it was it was virtually impossible to share that. Right. Unless you were in a band like Striper that would throw Bibles from right. the stage, yep. you know. I did. I but one thing that I learned early on, early on, was to actually keep as long as I do not have control of my spiritual uh, communication, communicating with, with, the, with everybody else about my, my spirituality. Let's say this is what happened to me. I did an interview with Circus Magazine and I happened to mention that I read the Bible. Right. Right? 
So they, they, they wrote, oh, Rudy Sarsos reads the Bible in the bathroom. <laughs> well, For what purpose no, would they say that? Because it's, you know. More interesting to them, I it, guess. It's, I guess it would be metal. To do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but as I say, okay, so I'll learn from that when I say, you know what? As long as I have no uh, control on what people are going to write about me, I will keep my spirituality to myself. But here, it's me talking, right? So I can talk about it. Oh, that's great. You know? Well, I mean, I, and I do remember. I think the the quote that you were talking about, where you you made this little. Uh, packed with God to say, as long as you you can still play and your fingers are moving and stuff like that, you're going to, you're going to play music and I guess uh, honor the gifts that he, he has given you. But I don't know that, that uh, you ever got to the point of saying, okay, well, if you weren't being, if you weren't a musician, if you weren't playing bass, what would you be doing with your life? Do you know, did you ever think about that? Like what you'd be doing? Oh, uh, you know, and, and, and I, you might call it a pact, but I don't consider it pact. Well, I, it's a, for yeah. lay, layman's terms. <laughs> you because know. a pact to me would be you give up something and you get something right. in return. Right. There's no guarantees. Right. It was a statement like that said, you made. Right. Right. It was a prayer, yeah. right? It was, it was a prayer. That's all. Right. A statement. A, a, a surrender. That's right. it. Right. When you surrender, you're not going to get anything. Right. <laughs> nor nor can you compromise. go. <laughs> right. You're, you're just, you're getting peace. Yep. And you don't know that. It's like when I when I finished writing my book and I wrote the end, I got closure. Now, I didn't know I was going to get closure from writing the book when I wrote the first words. Man. I had no idea. It wasn't until like it's done and you go like, wow. It's like the other day I got my second vaccine, uh, Pfizer. Right. Mm-hmm. Pfizer. That's the big question. What did you take? Right. Pfizer or Moderna? <laughs> Coke or Pepsi? Right. I don't care. <laughs> Just gave me the damn vaccine. Right, you right. Know? You know? So, okay. So having said that, and all of a sudden, I feel like, I mean, I don't feel invincible, but I feel like, okay, I'm not going to die from COVID. Right. I, I can still die. I can get hit by a car. But as far as COVID goes, right. you know, good. according to science. Right. <laughs> Which day, you know, you ask, you know, certain people and they go, oh, we don't know. We don't know. So I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, God only knows what science doesn't know, right. you know, and 100%. science doesn't know. No. Yeah, exactly. They're still trying to figure it out, you know, yeah. what's going on. But Sometimes uh, I think that, that science in some degrees tries to validate God and doesn't just try to ignore God. In some ways, I like I, I see a lot of efforts of it trying to either validate or invalidate God, one, one or the other, saying, well, because yeah. this X, Y, or Z, there is no God, or because X, Y, or Z, or we're going to look for X, Y, or Z to prove there either is or is not a God. And I'm like, why, why can't they just both mutually exist? Why can't, you know, why does there have to be one or the other? I think that there, you know, because of God, there is science that, you know, that's, I don't know why people try to blur the lines there so much. Yeah. Uh, I, and I get it because I grew up Catholic and in a, in a, in a Latin culture, I used to go in and to my grandmother's house and she opened the door and behind her, there was like Christ on the cross, you know, bleeding right. and stuff. And it'd be like, wow, that's scary. You know, <laughs> like, 
And then there'll be all these other life-size statues of saints and lottery. You know, it was pretty god. Just to keep saying, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you know, as I grew older, and I and as I read the Bible over and over and over again, you know, I I came to realize these are perceptions. My my own perception based on my experiences and the facts that I've been gathering and thoughts and experiences. Uh, that traditionally, the the trigger when you say God to a lot of people is a depiction of God by a Renaissance artist on a wow. let's say at the Vatican, the Sistine Chapel. God, God's got long hair and a beard and and his muscles, and he's like putting a finger at Adam. That's God. Right, right. That's 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 a depiction of what they what this artist thinks God is because he was hired by the Pope to paint right. this. Right, his and version. Usually, of it, right? yeah, his version of it. Okay, my version of God, and this is very, it's very clear in the Bible. You know, Jesus says God is spirit. It's energy. Mm-hmm. Nobody has seen God. Nobody mm-hmm. has seen the face of God. It's got no face. Right. It's energy, spirit. It's the creator who keeps expanding the universe as we speak. Right. God didn't rest on, on the seventh day. No, it wasn't right. like creation's been going. <laughs> you know, it just continues. Otherwise, that's one long you know? vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's like one long creation. I mean, right. it's, it's like it's expanding. Right. You know, the universe, you know, it's like, that is God right. to me. Not the universe, but the energy that creates the universe and everything that the order, the, the, the laws of God. I mean, if you look at nature, nature is orderly. You know, I, the, are you familiar with like the golden ratio? Yes, 100%. You know, the formation of, you know, it's mathematical. Everything's mathematical, right? Yep. It's, it's, everything's mathematical. Everything's actually pretty perfect. Yeah. Even though there's not, even the earth is not perfectly round. And a year is not perfectly an amount of 365 days and minutes. It all keeps changing because it keeps evolving, you know, but it's, if you take out mankind out of earth, you have a pretty perfect plan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, because everything will follow the laws of God. Now, what we have is free will. And yep. it's, taken, it's taken me a while to, to, to figure it out because it can be very confusing, the thought of God's will, free will. And it's a blessing and a know, curse. Lately, lately, because of, you know, I've been doing certain uh uh, inventory in my life, you know, I, uh, I've come across my perception of free will is, okay, you can do two things. You can do God's will. And that's to me, that's, that's my eternal quest to find right. out God's will. Or you can create chaos and go against the nature of things, the order of things in the universe. That's a right. universal order, but there is agents of chaos, humans, that mm. will go against that. Just because we we can, we have the, the option to do the, the right thing and the wrong thing. 
And that's something that a lot of people just don't get and understand. And that, you know, look, God's not a, a, a puppeteer. He does give us free will no. to, to love him, mm-hmm. to obey him mm-hmm. and, and to re- return everything back to him. Uh, and you, you touched on something else I want to talk on real quick here. Um, I don't want to hold you up too much. I know we've been talking for a while, but um, you know, you're, you're what, you're 70 now. So um, which is, Kind of, sort of. Okay, sort of, ish, <laughs> ish. Um, okay, but, and I don't want to dive too deep into this because it could open up wounds and stuff like that, but you have lost some close personal friends of yours, you know, including Randy yeah. and Kevin and, and Frankie. And, um, and Ronnie, Ronnie James. Ronnie, Ronnie, obviously, yeah, Ronnie you're yeah. very tight with. So, yeah. you know, some very close personal friends of yours that have, that have passed on. But, or you bandmates. Know, Bandmates. Um, I played with Ronnie, yeah. I mean, right. it's not just tight. I mean, right. we made music together. I was his last bass player in Dio. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, again, that's these are very important things. But the there's a part of you that could, you know, start to feel both immortal, but then also start to say, you know, I could be taken at any time. And what I look at with your career is that you're – from my perspective, I'm not sure from your perspective, uh, but from my perspective, you sure are making the most of, of, of your life and uh, what, what God has, has blessed you with, uh, not just from the musician side, because, you know, you, of, of everything that you do with that, because you're also involved with like the, the rock and roll fantasy camp, which, which helps, uh, you know, people, um, you know, like I said, you, 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 you're, you openly talk about the business side of things, like even with doing the, the hired gun documentary but then you you also uh, are are big um, you know I don't want to go so far as the animal rights activist but you do speak out a lot for shelter dogs and, and adoption and stuff like this and animal uh, cruelty and stuff but you're very focused on 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 getting dogs uh, shelter dogs adopted and stuff um, is is part of this all that that inventory that you take like you're talking about your life. I mean, do you sit down and think that I'm not doing enough and I've got to find ways to try to impact or, or, or be more meaningful? Or is this stuff just like happen in your life or, or stuff that's, you know, you want to make sure that the things that are important to you that you're active in, in, in doing? No, it's all very organic. They, they, they present themselves. Okay. Uh, it's like five years ago, a dear friend of mine, um, she 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 supports. There's an organization in uh, Southern California goes education. It's called Education Through Music Los Angeles, and they have them like around, you know, outside of LA too. But um, the one that I'm involved with is Education Through Music LA, and they do fundraisers and they give. Uh, they bring music to schools. They supply students with instruments and education, especially underprivileged children in schools. And it was very organic. I got invited by my friend to come to one of the uh, events that they hold every year. I met the people and they say, oh, how would you like to offer some, um, some um, classes for the auction, you know, bass lessons? And I've been doing it ever since, you know, and now I sometimes I, I get to speak about it, not only on social media, but on the local news. And so it just it just happened. You know, a lot of things come into my life and and I, I, I ask myself, can I be can I can I be part of, a, of to contribute to this? And, and it's usually yes. And I, and I just do it. 
it's not like I go out seeking for it. They just right. come my way, you know. Well, again, I think that just speaks to to who you are and your in your giving nature and the the kind person that you are. My my dad has a rescue dog. Mark has a rescue dog, um, as well. Cooper, who's a an inter- internet sensation here on the Bible Brain Show. Everybody loves Cooper. Yeah, I feel like so, we can get him to come over. He's sleeping over on the couch. <laughs> Cooper. So, but I, I think these are all great efforts uh, that that you're involved with. And uh, again, I look at it from the outside as uh, you know, making the most of your life and the talents uh, and the position that God has put you in to be able to uh, you know make some noise and make some awareness of things. Yeah. And uh, Mark, I know you've been very silent this, this whole time. Is there anything you have to add here real quick? Well, I think that, you know, I, I didn't want to crowd in. I wanted to give Rudy an opportunity to, to talk. Now, now, I've always just been a, you know, big fan of yours, as simple as that. Big I mean, I, mean I, you know, I already heard about Quiet Ride even years ago. I met Randy Rhodes a few months before he died here at a guitar seminar it's like yeah. ten people in a in a in a music room, and yeah. even a principal gave me the day off so that I could actually go and attend this thing. And and that's of course, but Quiet Riot and everything. And that's what we were all before Quiet Riot got back together, and you guys went out and really hit big. We were all looking for the music because all he was saying was that hey, I think it was we had an import deal, and you know, and it's not like the inter- internet existed back then so to try to find <laughs> things that maybe you were involved with or randy involved with it's almost impossible back then to to find anything but i mean i've you know i've seen you perform a number of times over the years in the bands and a lot of the things and i got to see that movie mike told me about the hard gun movie uh last week and i had an opportunity to watch it over the weekend i just can't consider you a hard gun even though that <laughs> might be the that's case hard to believe, yeah. because it's funny because i was talking to a friend of mine a couple of days ago and i said you know my buddy mike is having rudy sarzo come on um and do an interview with us and the first thing she said was her and her friend just wanted you so bad back when you were in the <laughs> <laughs> so i mean there's you know you just haven't everybody knows your name i mean from that era to me it's like you and Steve Harris are really the only bass players people really everybody knew by name, but I never heard any of the women I've known over the years go, Oh, I'm waiting after the show to meet Steve Harris. You know? <laughs> so I mean, you're definitely were, you know, when I watched it, it was great hearing some of the stories that you were telling, but I mean, yeah. every, every, I mean, you're, you're, you're a well-known name. You're not to me in my eyes, you're not somebody that somebody that a band, an established band brings in, not just because uh, you're a great bass player, you're somebody that gets people interested. Hey, Rudy's playing in that band. I think I'll yeah, go I, check him you out. Know, the, uh, uh, the, the title Hired Gun really gets lost yeah. a lot in because if you look at, well, I'm saying 95% of the, of the musicians highlighted in Hired Gun, the documentary. <laughs> Like in my case, I used the Aussie period to learn about the music industry. That was my, my, my university. I learned most of the business stuff that I, that I know from, from watching Sharon and everything that went down. I was very, I kept my mouth shut, ears open, eyes, and I watched and I learned so much that I was able to bring that to my own band, Quiet Riot. I was in my own band. I was not a hired gun in Quiet Riot, obviously. I wasn't, I wasn't about to leave the biggest, one of the biggest bands in the world 
to be a hired gun in in an in a, in a unknown right. quiet riot. It, that, that would be like insane. It was crazy enough that I left <laughs> and signed this record deal with this no band that nobody believed it. Right. So you know we were all equal share members in Quiet Riot, and I I brought with me so much knowledge about, about the industry because I already, I learned, I learned from the best, you know? So every, just about every musician, if you look at, let's say, uh, Steve Lukather. Yeah. He played on the, as a higher gun for, for so many artists, but that does, that doesn't mean that he is a higher gun, the guy from Toto. He's not right. a higher gun in Toto, right. you know, <laughs> you know, but then what he brought to Toto, all those guys, all those guys were studio musicians. Right. The Beatles, the Beatles were hired to do a recording with a guy named then uh, Sheridan, something Sheridan, uh, Tony Sheridan, something like that, before they got signed. So does that mean that the Beatles are hired guns? No, it's the Beatles. And they just got signed to work with this guy. Yeah, yeah, you just Google it. Tony Sheridan, that was like, uh, they did My Body Lies Over the Ocean. And it's yeah. the Beatles playing <laughs> on that, right? Uh, you know, Jimmy Page, Studio musician, John Paul Jones, studio musician. So it's like everybody, but that talking, is the right? best. Yeah, it's the best education you could ever have. You know, it's so it, the whole documentary is filled with musicians. Brad Gillis played with Ozzy, then goes on with Night Ranger. He said, right. that's his band. Yeah, he's not a he's higher, higher gun right. in, right. in, in Night Ranger, you know. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's all about that. You know, us who are blessed that we can actually join a situation that we can, we, we're given the opportunity to grow and learn from that experience so we can move on later on and bring this, this knowledge with us. Well, we'll, um, we'll let you plug a few things here as we, as we exit out. Uh, you know, I just want to be mindful of your time. And I really appreciate you being on here with us, Rudy. But uh, I, one other thing that I want to mention that you're involved with, I think is just something that is, uh, very, uh, you know, important in what I think is, is the education through music. Um, is there anything, you know, short you can uh, talk about that? Well, that's the one that I just mentioned like a few minutes ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, do, but as far as, uh, you know, this is something that people can get involved with. Um, so, I mean, well, take, through, take, uh, take making, part in. Well, to, well, to take part is to, uh, to making donations. To take part, you have to be invited. Right. by the organization to take okay. part. Outside of that, it's all donations because all the donations go to buying instruments right. and education for for children and uh, specifically the underprivileged kids. Okay, so we'll put a link up there for people to be able to donate yeah. to education through music because I think that's mm -hmm. a, a great organization. And yes, uh, as far as uh, the, the shelter dogs uh, mm -hmm. goes, uh, you know, you want to give a shout out to any organization that you... Uh, yeah, uh, Linda Blair's organization and also the Eastwood Ranch. That's okay. another shelter all based out of uh, California here. Okay, and you got the Rock Camp movie, um, and uh, when is that coming well, out? Well, um, yeah, that's that's David Fisher's documentary right. that has been working on for many years. And, right, uh, I'm, I'm just a little bleep in there, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So, is there anything else you want to plug? No, that well, I got my book Off yeah, the Rails. Off, and, off the Rails, uh, right? And my radio show, Six Degrees of Sarzo, on Monsters of Rock Radio Dash Network, and it's on Spotify. 
for uh-huh. streaming. Yeah, so people, band. yeah, I'm sure if you're if you're not tuning in already, please tune in and uh, listen to Rudy's show. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, Rudy, I, I just really appreciate you you coming on here and uh, sharing these uh, you know, the intimate conversation stuff with us. And uh, we, we look forward to seeing you and uh, everything that you, that you're doing. Again, you have your hands in so many different things. I think you are definitely making mm-hmm. the most of your life. And uh, now that you are vaccinated, yeah, your fingers are still moving. Now that you're vaccinated, the, 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 the 2021 is wide open for you. You know, we don't have to be afraid wide to move forward. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we look forward to seeing you and, and uh, everything else you've got going on. So Thank uh, you so much. God bless. Yeah, appreciate bless. it. So uh, yeah. for myself, Michael Kadri, my uh, partner, my, uh, Big M over there, we'll see you on the next episode of Blabber Brain Show. God bless. Take care. Thank you.